waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am Jehovah Rapha. And they came to Elim, where there were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. Um, as I said on Sunday, we started a new series, and we'll be running it on Wednesdays, and not on Sundays, but just on Wednesdays. Now, we want to continue from where we left off, but let me just do a quick, short recap of the things we talked about on Sunday. We explained that this story that I've just read, this passage of scripture, is essentially about thirst. Of course, there are so many other things you can see in the passage. But God is trying to draw our attention to the business of thirst. The children of Israel had traveled three days without water and had come to the waters of Marah, full of expectation, only to find out that the waters were not suitable for consumption. The Bible tells us they were bitter. We explained that the that physical thirst itself was a very powerful desire, a very powerful feeling, and that you as a human being can only go without water for so long. We gave the example of Samson in Judges 15, from verses 15 to 19. We're not going to look at that again. After a magnificent victory, where he slaughtered a thousand Philistines with just the jawbone of an ass, presumably because of the amount of physical exertion, Samson suddenly became thirsty. And the place where he was, there was no water. He had to make a special appeal to God, who miraculously provided him with water. Because Samson said, I killed the enemy. It looks like I'm going to die just from a simple thing like thirst. We also looked at another example we looked at. We looked at many examples, but we looked at Jesus in Matthew 19:28. We said that of all the excruciating pain that Jesus suffered on the way to the cross and on the cross, the Bible doesn't record for us that he complained when they nailed him to the cross. But the Bible records for us that when he became thirsty and couldn't handle it anymore, he said, I thirst. So thirst is such an important thing in the Bible. And I then said on Sunday that thirst is God's litmus test. It is that test that God has put in place to determine whether or not you really, really love him and desire to have God. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through to 39, the Bible tells us that Jesus says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And I explained on Sunday that you have to 
thirst before Jesus will allow you to drink. You can't just say, well, because I'm a Christian, let me just go and have a drink. No, no, no. Qualification for having that drink is thirst. That's the qualification for the drink. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You must be thirsty. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, the Bible says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Not upon him that desires water. Not upon him that is hot. Not upon him that desires to have some water poured upon him. But upon him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. So, thirst is a key thing if we must open the doors that lead to God's treasury. Thirst is a very important thing. And I did say that, well, I've not done it yet, but it's good to even understand what it is to be thirsty. Because we can go through a whole life and never understand what it is to be thirsty. You might think, well, I do. I know what it is. Well, whenever I want to drink a bottle of Coke badly. No, 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 no. no. That's not what we're talking about. That is not what we are talking about. And I said it is really important for anyone who desires to follow God to understand what God is saying when he refers to thirst. Now, I did try to explain, or how should I put it now? Uh, yeah, explain what thirst would mean to you and I who are Christians today. I said that it is that place where we can give up everything for God. Where God, or should I say the pursuit of God, is our all-consuming passion. Thirst is that place where you can give up everything for God. Where the pursuit of God is your all-consuming passion. You know, if you are, let me give an example. If you are running after something, if you are chasing after something, the interesting thing about life is that minor irritations will not disturb you if you are really focused and all that is in you is going after that thing. If I know today that if I can get to Abuja tomorrow, I'll sign a $100 million contract. But I have to be the one there. I can't send anybody there. In fact, if somebody approaches me, I say, this person wants to disturb me, this person wants to carry your problem, you know, because I'm, I'll be so focused. And, and the same, by the same token, if you really are focused on pursuing God, you see, it would be impossible to leave service like today now. And then when we get out there, you say, God punish you. He's not go better for your mama, you stupid woman. What is, ah, and then people are wondering, what's going on? This will have just finished service. then God is not 
the all-consuming passion in you. Now, Paul, we said, understood this very well. And he explains it, I think, better than I can in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, But what things are gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. David also understood it well. That's the thing about the Bible that's so interesting. There are some key things about God. You find that not everybody you see in the Bible had a good understanding of that particular issue. David understood thirst well. Else he could never have written Psalm 42. In verses 1 and 2 he says, As the heart panted after the water brooks, so panted my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsted for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Then finally on Sunday, we said that really and truly, if you look at the whole Bible and if you look at life, there are, you'll find two categories of people. People who thirst after things or the gifts of the giver, or people who thirst after God, or if you prefer, the giver. And we gave a lot of examples. Just two examples I'll mention. Those who thirsted after things, we looked at the man Esau, whose all-consuming passion, strictly speaking, was for food. And somebody said, that how you know that Esau's all-consuming passion was for food was that even when, you see, I don't want to derail, but let me explain this to you. Esau's father, Isaac, had an all-consuming passion for food also. Because the man knew he was going to die. And he said to his sons, or he said to his son, um, it's time for me to bless you. But guess what? He said, let me not bless you now. Go and prepare that my favorite dish. Let me eat and be satisfied. Ah, then I will bless you. So he put a condition on the blessing, food. And it is said that Esau missed the blessing. Because if you read the Bible well, you find that as soon as Jacob left, Esau came in. They said it's not unlikely that Esau said to himself, before I give these things to my father, let me to just have a bit of what I prepared. And in the process of um, satisfying himself, he got in there late. If he had taken the food straight on, he might have caught Jacob. Gedhazai, the man who could have inherited a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elisha was always in the presence of God. Because whether you like it or not, God is here right now. So we're all in his presence. But see, Gehazi's plans were different. He always wanted just one thing, and that thing was called prosperity. 
The Bible describes it as vineyards, men servants, maid servants. Those are things that Gehazi was preoccupied with. Each time he stood before God, all he wanted was prosperity. He wasn't really concerned with God. And of course, thirdly, we, we, we talked about Judas Iscariot, who was so concerned with money that it did not bother him that from time to time he stole from God's funds. But then he committed the ultimate uh, thing by selling Jesus himself. Because as we are here today, there are people who are whose all-consuming passion, that whose consuming passion is food. Some it's and largely in Christendom is prosperity. Largely in Christendom is prosperity, and of course, um, for some it's just money, for the sake of money. Then we said that some people in the Bible, all they wanted from God was just God. Moses said to God, show me your glory. God said, if you see my glory, you will die. Moses said, still show me your glory. David said, one thing have I desired of you. That one thing only will I seek after. I just want to dwell in your presence. And Paul, we just read in Philippians, said, I count all things as done. All I want is that I may win Jesus. Now, this, I said on Sunday, is a very important subject because the more I look at it, the more I understand that God really must love us in the city of David. Because once you can understand this, and we are not doing badly, once you can understand it, you open the treasury of God himself. Once you can understand that there's something God really would want from you and I. And that we should try and align ourselves to that which God would want. So today let's continue with um, our study. Generally, as I said on Sunday, if we all were to put down the one thing we wanted most from God, it would be a miracle if anybody put down God. Everybody would put down things. So that that one thing that we want most is that thing that we really thirst after. Now, how do we graduate? How do we step away? Because I'm sure some people have since found out that, well, that's not the best way to go. So how do you move from that place? It's because we're not saying that you should not desire to have children or a husband or a wife. No. All we are saying is that they must never be more important than God. That's why God spent 25 years watching Abraham. Because Abraham had only one song. What shall you give me? When will you give me a son? When will you there at one point said, You've blessed me. This is my servant Eliezer. He's going to inherit everything. You have not given me a child. That's why when God gave him the child, God said, Let me see if Abraham can give that child back to me. And we thank God that Abraham passed the test. Now, how do we move away? from thirsting after just things and thirsting after God. Let's read together Matthew 6, 31 through to 
33. We all know it well, but let's just read again. It is the word of God. Matthew 6, verses 31 through to 33. Are we all there? Okay, one, two, go. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One of the shortest ways of shifting from where we are to thirsting after God is that God himself actually does have his own thirst. That's very good news. There are things that God himself is thirsting for. Which is to say, if I can align myself with that which God, remember that the key thing here is what? Is thirst. And thirst becomes your what? All-consuming passion. Now if God has an all-consuming passion, and I can find out what all-consuming passion is, and I enter in there to fulfill that all-consuming passion of God, it won't be long before God becomes my own all-consuming passion. What then is it that you would call God's all-consuming passion? John chapter 3 verse 16, the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is it that God wanted so badly that he was willing to give up all he had, the best that he had, so that he could have that one thing. Because he gave up his only begotten son. Simple. Souls. Everybody says souls. Yes. God has a very strong thirst for souls. The question to ask yourself is that, do you yourself have any thirst at all for souls? Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. The whole of that chapter, everything there, all those stories there are stories about souls. Let me take the first seven verses. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together 
his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7, I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So here we have a simple story that we all know very well. But Jesus is trying to say to these people who are complaining that a single soul is so important that God would really spend time for one soul. And that he says when he does find that person that there's joy in heaven. Let me read another three or four verses. He says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she had found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. Look at the amount of trouble that the shepherd goes through to find one lost sheep. Look about, at the amount of trouble that this woman goes through to find just one piece of silver. God says that's the amount of trouble he is willing to go through to find just one sinner. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that God is not willing that one soul, one soul should perish. Yet Isaiah chapter 5 verse 14 tells us that hell had enlarged herself and opened her mouth. Because the original plan, you see, for hell was for who? The devil and his angels. God never planned that man would end up in hell. But today we know that men are walking quietly, unsuspectingly to hell. So God has a very passionate thirst for souls. That's really the one reason that God came down to this earth as a man. We therefore, if we want to satisfy that thirst of God, must take the business of souls, of soul winning, very seriously. Because God, the Bible tells us, is always looking out for who to send into the field of souls. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Also I heard, a vo I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? As I explained a long time ago when I preached on this verse of scripture, I said, if you understand that the word of God is eternal, if you understand that, then you understand that even now, that expression, that statement is still going out into creation. 
whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Unfortunately, we are all interested in other things. But if we understand that the one way to enter into the righteousness of God, the one way to fully just follow God is to align ourselves with his own thirst, then we must take the business of evangelism very, very seriously. That tells me, therefore, that God is watching every single person here and what you are doing with those cards we gave you on Sunday. You know, there are some people who are really serious about those cards and would have prayed over them and are going to be diligent in inviting those people to church. Nicodemus Sunday is not my idea, but that's not the point anyway. The interesting thing is that it's God's idea. And once, where, are the, where is that box? Please, let's bring, uh, bring it. It should always be here. And once we find out what God wants done, one way to thirst after God is to just go ahead and do it without any questions at all. And you see, God gives you an insight. I said that when you come to the place when you thirst after God, you have the key, as it were, to God's treasury. Turn with me to John 15, 16. I want us all to read this together. John 15, 16. Are we all there? Okay, let's read together. I want to go. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it. Jesus says, you have not chosen me. I have chosen you. He says, but there is a purpose for choosing you and ordaining you. And that purpose is that you should go and bring forth what? fruit and that your fruit should remain. Then he shows you how he hands over the key of God's treasury to you because he says so that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name he may give it you. It's like God gives you a blank check and I really want to have that blank check so we can write some things on that blank check. So God is testing for souls. We've got to. It's not such a nice subject. Because people just generally would like to get along with other things. But if it's what God wants, it's time to make up our minds to say, if God wants it, then I'll do it. Then I will do it. I could tell you something about this box, but I won't tell you. You'll see and find out about it later. Anyway. Our souls the only thing God is testing for? Nope. John 4. That's why I said we're not doing badly. But then it means we've got to really take everything that we're doing seriously. John chapter 4. Shall we read together verses 23 to 24? Verses 23 to 
24. Are we all there? One, two, go. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is testing for worship. So the Bible tells us that he is even searching for worshippers. And not just any type of worshipper, but one who will worship him in spirit and in, in truth. You know. I said, tell him that you love him. Of course, it's so easy to say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. Without even thinking about it. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through to 3, the Bible tells us, I'm not going to read it, the Bible tells us that God has lots and lots of angels. And all they constantly do is cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Yet, this same God prefers the worship of man to the worship of angels. Why? I believe it is because we are made in his image and likeness. And the very interesting thing about us is that many of us don't understand that when you do not worship God, you will eventually end up worshipping things. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. When you do not worship God, you will eventually turn to worshipping things. And I just want to explain that. You see, because what's so interesting about the Bible is this. If the Bible says God is searching for worshippers, and he wants people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, it means that they are not, those people are, if they were easily available, God will not be searching for them. And the problem that creates immediately is that if people are not worshipping God, what then are they worshipping? It's like when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You know, we all read it and walk away. Because we find that we are doing a lot without him. Until we suddenly realize that what he is actually saying is that everything that we have done without him in heaven is written down as nothing. Aha. Then he catches your attention. Let me read very quickly. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, and he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. You know, Esau didn't believe that at all. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, 
it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil took him up unto an exceeding high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. All these things, that, those, that phrase there represents the things that you and I are believing God for. And for as long as those things are more important than God, then we've left the business of worshipping God. And we're actually now worshipping things. It doesn't look very obvious, but then that's the truth. Worship is so important to God. Psalm 22 verse 3 tells us that God, when he finds true worship, actually arises from his throne in heaven and inhabits the true worship, wherever he finds true worship. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So when we praise God, when we worship God, the Bible tells us that he inhabits our praises. He arises and inhabits our praises. Now the, the thing is, The thing is, many do not worship God just because he is God. Actually, they do because of the benefit. Which is that whenever God arises, we know that what happens is enemies scatter, our enemies scatter. So, we enter into the place of praising God only because we want him to destroy our enemies. Meanwhile, that's why... That's the difference in a true worshipper and a worshipper for gain. And most times, particularly Nigerian churches, we know how to bring God to fight our battles for us. But that's not what God is looking for. He's looking for people who just understand that because he's God, he deserves to be worshipped. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. The whole of Isaiah 38, all the 22 verses, bear reading. But I'll just stop I'll just look at verses 18 and 19. But we know the background to this story. Hezekiah is sick. He does not want to die. God sends Isaiah to him and says, It's time to die. Put your house in order. And Hezekiah says, No way. I says, If I go, you have one less person to praise you. And that's really the sum of what he's saying in verses 18 and 19. For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy 
truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. And once he puts that across to God, God says to Isaiah, go and tell him he can live. This is God, a man, as the Bible describes him, whose breath is in his nostrils, says to God, if I, you know I praise you well. And God says, that's true. He says, then I, do, I shouldn't die now. Not many people know how to praise you. And God said again, that's true. And what's interesting is that this man that's here is not a poor man. He's a king. He's wealthy. He's, 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 he rules over men and women. But the Bible puts him down for us as an example of somebody who knows how to, to praise God, who knows how to, to worship God. I say we are not doing badly because God has helped us here. The revelation we have of hallelujah, it's really good and wonderful revelation. And never let anybody get you thinking, ah, is this thing really God? Don't mind them. Don't mind them. They want to just derail you. God is very pleased with this church. And some people wonder, how long? <laughs> For as long as God wants it done. That's all. You see, I've come to the place where I realize that the most interesting thing about life is find out what God wants done. And then go ahead and do it. You can never go wrong with God. Take your brain out of the matter. So, worship is something that God seeking for. And the interesting thing about that is this. Whenever we do not worship God properly in spirit and in truth, we are worshipping something else. It's either self or things or the enemy. Inadvertently. But inadvertently is not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't put a middle of the road position. It's either or. The Bible says, no man can serve two masters. Either he will love one and hate the other. It doesn't say he will love one and like the other. So the moment God sees you in the place of extending some kind of understanding towards the enemy, God says, you hate me. That should be something interesting for us to hold on to. Particularly, um, we'll get there. We'll talk about this at great length later on as we continue with this study. But many of us who think that this whole life is about being civil, you know, about being nice, you know, um, if my colleagues are not exactly Christians, I've got to 
understand and understand their problem and then don't disturb them. God says disturb them. God says you cannot understand their problem. And you see that behavior, even though they don't know exactly what they are doing, but Israel has that attitude. It is ready to defy the whole world. It doesn't care. And that's the way God is. That is the way God is. Because He is God. Those of us who find it very difficult. And you know, it's so interesting, but there are people in Amis who find it very difficult to sing, to worship God, to kneel. They find it difficult. God just says to you, you, you hate me. Pure and simple. But you're in church. You come to church every day, every Sunday, every Wednesday. Yes. Because I don't make the rules. You see, God makes the rules. Everybody say thirst. And God has put that in the Bible for us to catch. He says, you must thirst. Thirst is not, I need a drink. Nope. It becomes your all-consuming passion. Because when you are really thirsty, if you have not had any liquids for three days, and you are on the fourth day without water, without any liquid, the truth is, anywhere you see water, you are more likely to put it in your mouth and drink. In truth, what happened to the children of Israel at Marah was that the moment they saw the waters of Marah, whoom, they started drinking. And suddenly, suddenly, <laughs> the whole place started smelling because in no time, there was massive diarrhea going on. When they said the waters were bitter, it wasn't that it tasted bitter. It was just that like water was not fit for human consumption. It did something. It created a bigger problem. They are looking for water. Then everybody just starts pooping all over the place, uncontrollably. So the whole place became a business. I mean, that, it can be very disorientating. So, We've all got to find out what this thirst is. Don't just believe all I've said. Every man must try and experience what thirst is, real thirst, so that he can say this. And that's exactly what God is looking for. If any man thirst, you won't think before you drink the water. Even if they wrote poison on it, you will see the poison later. Now God's saying that's kind of all-consuming passion that I want people to have. That's why sometimes I laugh when somebody gives a testimony and says, I told God, I said, God, if you don't do my own, ah, ah, what? <laughs> what I want us to do today is one just spend some time and just talk to God. Tell him, listen, we are going to do a number of things. Tell him that one, you are sorry that you have not really, and the Bible says, take this very seriously. 
Because the Bible is a very inter- interesting book. It says, he that winneth souls is what? So he that does not win souls is what? Do you know that God hates fools? Because the Bible says of fools, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Let me turn all of that around and say to you, you do not win souls. You are saying indirectly, there is no God. Hmm. Now you are saying to yourself, no, 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 Pastor, I'm not saying so. Ah, I'm not the one inter- I'm, um, saying this. I'm just interpreting the Bible for you. A person who wins souls, the Bible says, is wise. The person who does not win souls is foolish. In fact, the Bible does say that he's foolish. Then how does the Bible qualify a fool? It says a fool is somebody who says in his heart, there is no God. So whenever you see somebody that you can call a fool, one of the key things about his life is that you see enough to show that he doesn't believe that there is a God. So if I do not win souls, I've entered into the category of fools. Somehow, God says, I'm looking at you and you are saying to me that there is no God. Me, I'm going to be serious about souls. So So let's tell God that we are sorry. Because it's just not something that we do naturally, but God will help all of us. Mm. Tell him, I'm sorry, you're not taking soul winning seriously. Tell him that you are sorry that you've been thirsting really and truly after things and not after God himself. Promise him. Promise him that from now on, you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Promise him. Nobody here will qualify as a fool. We will all win souls. We will all win souls. And we will all seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because that's the only way to make all the bitter waters in our lives sweet. Now, whilst we are praying, some of us are here today. You've been coming to church, but you have never at any point in time, committed formally, fully, your life unto Jesus. Now, that's something is wrong. Something is wrong there. But today is a very good day. It's a day of mercy. So if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never said to him, Lord Jesus, I believe you are God. You came down to this earth. You died for me. Please write my name in the book of life for I accept you today as my Lord and my Savior. You need to say so. If you need to pray that prayer, go ahead and do so now. But as you do so, please put up a hand wherever you are, quickly, so that we can see you and put a card in your hand. Because we've got to tell you, something will happen to you because the Bible says when a man is in Christ, behold, all things will become new. Your life is about to change irrevocably. Irrevocably. So if you are here today and you know you have never committed your life to Jesus, just wherever you are, just put up your hand quickly. Ushers are looking out for you to put a card in your hand. Remember that the Bible says, there's joy before the angels. For one person, just one. So if you are here, please do not be shy. Once you are going through an argument that they are going to embarrass you, they won't embarrass you, just put up your hand. That's it. I'm trying to tell you a lie. Trying to tell you a lie. And he will shut up. He leaves you alone immediately. Immediately. You put up your hand. You are putting up your hand for Jesus. Remember that he's here right now and he's walking in our midst. So wherever you are, just put up your hand. God bless you. 
Anybody else? Just put up your hand wherever you are. Wherever you are. Quickly, quickly. Anybody else? Anybody else? When you get the card, put down your hand. Put down your hand when you get the card. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly. There's a struggle going on in your heart. Just put up your hand and be sure. Just be sure. Ah, God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Ah, don't let Satan cheat you today. He's been cheating you all this time. He will not cheat you today. Today is one day that you must say to yourself, Lord, please write my name in the book of life. Write my name in the book. Just go and get the card. Hold the card and put it in your hand. That's all. I've not told you to come out. I'll do that a bit differently today. Father, we come before your throne of grace, your throne of mercy. At any time you feel like, just put up your hand and the usher will put a card in your hand. We come before your throne of grace, your throne of mercy. We come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we've come to say to you, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we've come to say, Almighty God, have mercy upon us. For indeed, Lord, we have not taken soul winning seriously. We've come to say, Lord, have mercy upon us. For we realize today that we really have thirsted after things. But from this day, Lord, we promise that we will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, we thank you because we know that your thirst is for souls. That your thirst is for worship. And we will worship you, Almighty God. With all, with all, with all, with all, with all, with all that is within us. Yes, Lord. Just keep talking to the Lord. We thank you and bless you, Lord. We thank you and bless you, Lord. We thank you and bless you, Lord. I will worship you. Let's rise up. Nothing else will do. I will give you all the praise. I'll give you all the praise. For you alone, oh Lord. For you alone, oh Lord. You are one.
rightly, that there's joy before the angels when one so repents and comes to God. Which is to say that the business of speaking to somebody is actually what? A very spiritual event. Which is to say that ordinarily the cards that you have that we are supposed to use to invite people all of that stuff is what? It's a spiritual event. Because who's watching us? Heaven is watching. So don't say to yourself, well, it doesn't matter. Ah, it does. It does. And God will help us all. Now, are there any people who are here who didn't get... Let me even first find out. Do we still have any of those cards? Eh? Do we have any of those cards? We don't have. That downstairs. Okay. Are there any people here who didn't get any of those cards? Okay. They'll bring the cards. When they bring the cards up, I'll ask you to put up your hand so you can pick up those cards. That card is not an ordinary card. It's a card that is tied to a spiritual event. And you see, when the spiritual and the physical collide, who gives way? The physical does. When David and Goliath collided, what happened? Goliath had to give way. God will help us. Ah, look at me. Okay, when you finish... <laughs> When you finish preparing your... Listen, we all stand and stretch our hands to um, these boxes. You will soon see these boxes appearing everywhere. I should have done a copyright for it too. You know, but they are going to be appearing in different places now. Um, okay. okay. Let's, let's um, lift up our offering unto the Lord. Father, it is you we have come to worship. For you are he who has given us power to get wealth. We thank you and bless you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to what it is to thirst after you. Mighty God, grant us wisdom and understanding. And help each and every one of us, Lord, to move to that place where the pursuit of God becomes our all-consuming passion. Glory and honor we give unto you. Lord, receive our offerings today. And as we give today, Lord, make us head and not tail. Let us be above only and never be beneath. Make us first and not last. As we give today, we say we shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. I say we shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Lord, as we give today, satisfy us with long life. Show us your salvation, Lord. Mighty God in heaven, we ask in the name of Jesus that you bless us a thousand times more, Lord. Accept each one of us and accept our offerings, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, before we give our offering, let's all rise to our feet and stretch forth our hands. Um, I'll...